Hello, hello once again, and thank you so much for downloading this week's The Weekly Curio Podcast. I'm The Whip Theater's Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosity's Jeff Wagg. We begin, as we always have, with the first half of the weekly puzzle. So in the United States, there are two sports, one much more popular than the other, that require metal shoes. What are they? If you aren't driving, we beg you, look to the sky. We're missing a blimp. Oh, oh. The Budweiser blimp has run away from its home. <laughs> now, this isn't quite like the Goodyear blimp. There aren't any people in this. It's just a big advertising thing. It's basically a balloon that looks like a tail. But it left. It broke its moorings and then took off through the wilds of New Brunswick. And for several days, nobody could find it. Best Disney movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> the runaway blimp. Now we've poor fellas all lost and scared in Canada. <laughs> oh, no. We got to get him back to America. <laughs> well, you know, and it, the, the kind of funny thing here is that it's the Budweiser blimp that's lost in Canada. Canada, who considers American beer to be a little bit funny water. You know? Yeah, the Labatt's blimp has <laughs> yeah. never been lost. No, we've never had a problem. The Labatt's with that. blimp is chained down <laughs> to the capital. It's much stronger. <laughs> <laughs> so they have just we just. Just found this out right this now. This just in. Update. Just in. The, the balloon. A podcast live news update. <laughs> has been found in the woods of New Brunswick, presumably next to Bigfoot or something. Well, that's why it was so hard to find. Yeah, there's It's a large there. vehicle. Well, I guess if it carried people, it would yeah, be a vehicle. Yeah. Uh, but also in a large area. And how much manpower are we really spending to locate your advertising balloon? Exactly. Had there been people on it, it would have been a much more intensive. But the Mounties are like, yeah, we'll keep an eye out. It was kind yes, of entertaining yeah. because it, it it wasn't hugely up in the air. It was only like a few hundred feet in the air. So for a whole day, people in these little farming villages would see this blimp kind of fly overhead. And, Hi. And then it would just keep on going. But nobody could catch it. Nobody knew where it was going. They tried. How to, do you do that? A, a World you, War II biplane in Alaska? I mean, right. There's no way to stop the thing. You could shoot at it. Uh, you know. But it's low enough. So they were asking pilots to yeah. keep an eye out for it. It's a hazard, probably. But I mean, they were saying, no, not at that level. At 200 oh, okay. feet, they were yeah. saying it's. that's why they didn't just shoot it down. The Royal Canadian Air Force could just drop it out of the sky. Yeah, they could. It'd be fun for them. <laughs> <laughs> Get the butt boys <laughs> hey, you've been training for half your life for this. You're 25 years old. Why don't you go shoot that balloon out of the air? <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, I'm on it. <laughs> that's the worst ending to a Disney movie ever. <laughs> But yes, it has been found. It's snagged in some trees in the woods, which is like all of New Brunswick. And uh, no word yet on whether it will come back to life. It's a good week for finding things. <laughs> that blimp story ended so positively. Yeah. Also, we found E.T. E.T. is home. He's home again. <laughs> so here's my take on this. I always knew. I knew this story was bullcrap. It sounded like it. It has all the hallmarks. I am very good at detecting bullcrap. It's my superpower. And who does this? Nobody does this. It's an insane story. If you don't know the story, the Atari Corporation was already on the ropes in yeah, the yeah. 80s. This is the death of the console. Nintendo will bring it back, but they don't know this. Yep. It's already dark, dark days. That mm -hmm. fad has ended. Pac-Man no more. Donkey Kong is gone. They got nothing. Yeah. They spend a lot of money and get the rights for an E.T. video game. Biggest movie of the early 80s, huge. Huge. One of the first blockbusters, E.T., costs them a pretty penny. The developers have, like, I don't know, two or three hours to make a game. I think they honestly had six <laughs> to eight weeks. Right, which, which is if nothing. if you know anything of development. Yeah. Well, now, 
with supercomputers in the 80s. I mean, right. Pong took longer to write Yes, than, no. than six to eight weeks. So they cobbled together what is, as expected, a horrible... Now, did you play it as a kid? Were you around I then? never knew it as a kid. I never even heard of it. I played it. I, I'm actually... I was and I had an Atari 2600, but I never got this cartridge. I was friends with someone who went out and bought it like day two... And we couldn't figure out what the hell to do. Now, this isn't like, you know... Oh, I've played the emulator. It's not like... You can play it online, by the way. This isn't Skyrim. This is a few dots on a screen. And while the graphics may not be wonderful and you're not expecting that, you do expect to know what you're supposed to do. Some of the dots are Reese's Pieces. Yeah, the black ones. Other dots are just dots. And then there's this guy that comes and grabs you and takes you to the Acropolis or something. And then that's you just go back where you were. It doesn't seem to have any purpose. It apparently is a translation error in the <laughs> script they gave the Japanese programmers, and they just mixed up their word in English. I, don't, I could certainly see doing that in Japanese, but oh, is that the word for, oh, my bad. Yeah, that was sorry. the word for Acropolis. Yeah, yeah, you needed to go up to there to the Parthenon. Uh, it is it is a horrible, horrible game. But So, so Atari took them, yes. crushed them with a bulldozer, right? rolled over yep. them, mm-hmm. and then dumped them in the desert. Millions, right. a half, well, I heard, always heard a million. Yeah. That has all the hallmarks of BS. Oh, why? Yeah, who it. would do Perfect. that? Why not recycle them? I mean, there's gold in the cartridges. Why not I mean, sell them? They had sold 1.5 million of them right. when they declared it a failure. 1.5 million units Absolutely. is a failure. Or you can't recoup any of your money at all. Buy two new games, get a free copy of E.T., you know, whatever. Right. For whatever reason, though, it's absolutely true. They did run over them they with did. a bulldozer and dump them in the desert. Half a million. The mm-hmm. numbers were a bit off. Half a million of them went away. After selling 1.5 million, they couldn't dump the other half a million. <laughs> I can't believe... Yeah, it's bizarre. It is. It's... And Kickstarter, a documentary. Yes. Kickstarted, crowdfunded. Maybe not Kickstarter, but crowd, Indiegogo. Yeah, something them. like that. Crowdfunded. Got its funding, and part of it was to find... So it's a documentary on the history of video games. And these filmmakers went out. I believe it's in Death Valley, mm-hmm. too, out in the desert. It's somewhere very dry. It's a very nasty place. Dug them up and found them. Yeah, and it's at, unless that's also bullcrap, that'd be great. If <laughs> oh, it was a double they, blind a like hoax? Blair Witch. That wow. just occurred to me just now. What if that is a hoax? That so so for like the past five years they've been combing eBay for every copy of ET. No, they could nobody get, tested you know? them. You take yeah. any cartridge of Pitfall, you oh, whack an ET point. label yeah. on that's it, true. you crush it with <laughs> you your foot, you bury what 150, 200 copies. They didn't yeah. dig up too many. That's right. You then leave them for. Eight or nine days is enough to age yeah. them in and, the desert. And there was that anomaly. That Maybe they, we should do that. They weren't all E.T. games. That was the weird thing. They found a centipede game. Yeah. No, I can't explain that. Did they just dump a whole warehouse in there? It's a centipede. Now, I am old enough that I played these 2,600 games when they were new. Centipede was a decent game. You so know, I'm announcing now a Kickstarter. I'm going to do a documentary on debunking their documentary. <laughs> yeah. I only need like a buck fifty three, whatever airfare is. I'm just gonna go up to him with a camera and go, really seriously, come on, look me in the eye. Are you serious? You dug those up? Often this winter I did wish humans could hibernate. Yeah, I would have slept the whole winter if I could have. This is an article. It says FYI, can humans hibernate from popular science? Short answer, no. But long answer, kind of. Yeah. Uh, there was a gentleman who got trapped in his car. And survived for a rather long time without food, yeah, and more like, importantly, without water. Like two months. That's insane. It is. He appears to have done it by getting his body temperature down to 88 degrees 
Fahrenheit. Which is, that's if you come to the ER with 88, you're instantly in ICU, you know. That's yeah, that's bad. how bears do it. Yeah. They get oh, their yeah, core yeah. temperature down by that, what would that be, 15, 20% lower than, yeah. 10% lower than normal. Yeah. Just because I can't do the conversion to C in my head. So it's 10% <laughs> less than body temperature. And, and so this idea is that if a doctor could induce a drastically low body metabolism and temperature, that will keep certain trauma patients alive. Yeah, you freeze somebody. So, you know, they, they get in an accident in the desert, you freeze them a little bit and send them up to L.A. where they can get healed. Or whatever. Well, what about during a heart attack? Oh, you sure, You could reduce right, yeah. the oxygen usage. That's one example That's they give. That's a good one, yeah. And this is uh, Mark Roth, biologist at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center, Cancer Research Center in Seattle. He's working on a suspended animation treatment yeah. that, w- that would allow you to, to just delay just for certain cancers where it is a death sentence. Okay, well, now that death sentence can be postponed 300%, 400 so instead of six months to live, yeah. you could have three years in hibernation because who knows when a breakthrough is going to happen in these fields. Or you're waiting for a transplant organ. You know, It's like, all right, we're going to suspend you until an organ's ready. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, It just doesn't seem real. And when I heard the story of this guy for two months, what did, what did he do for two months in the car? And it turns out nothing, and that's what saved his life. He just sat there and was very still and quiet for two months. I can't imagine him being conscious for that. That's I a remarkable not. person yeah. or remarkable mental disorder. Or something. To be I able just... to do that is absolutely a heck of a tale of survival on his part. Well mm. done. Yeah, You know, absolutely. you did it. You made it. That's what's important at the mm-hmm. end of the day. You're alive and not dead. Congratulations. Yeah. His breakfast tasted better than it ever tasted before. <laughs> sure it did. And he may, be, he may be helping the rest of us learn a new branch of science where we can... Not have to rush around. Like, yeah, the doctor's playing golf. You know what? Just suspend him for a while. <laughs> That's what's important to doctors. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, I really need to, I'm really doing well. My handicap is, yeah, I'm, you don't, know, don't. just suspend him and yeah. I will get to that tomorrow. You could see House doing that. You know, House <laughs> absolutely. He's like, I'm busy. Everyone at this point has seen the Google self-driving car, but from jalopnik.com, I have no idea how I get these links. I think Reddit <laughs> might be the, the force there that I'm getting them from, but jalopnik.com. Gives us a Google self-driving car is even better at driving than you think. This was a Google press release, so you may be able to find this on your favorite tech blog as well. Yeah. And the video. The video is amazing. If you haven't seen the, the Google car, it works with a very interesting like LiDAR system. This advanced radar tracking thing. Creates a picture of its environment and then applies algorithms to drive your vehicle. Yeah. What we get to see here is like early, early 80s graphics. <laughs> Of what that computer is then processing. So this is a this red brick in front of me is a car. It looks like my car. It very does look like something from the Atari back yeah. in the day. And then to the right is the guy on a bicycle. Who and moves? what's cool is when the guy on the bicycle throws his arm out for a left-hand turn, Google's whatever recognizes that. That's amazing. Gets ready for him to come into your lane, from the bike lane mm. into your lane. He goes back then changes his mind and does it again because he's a terrible bicyclist. And this happens all the time. And the Google algorithm goes, oh, that guy's you know drunk on a bicycle. <laughs> but just that arm signal, it knows it's coming. Construction zones, it sees the cones and will get in the wrong lane because the cones told it to. Right. When you get to an intersection. And you got to see it because they paint onto the video, uh, this red line is where the car is told to stop. And then there's three more red lines as it would be making the turn. Mm -hmm. And that's where the pedestrians and the cyclist 
might might interfere. So it's predicting I might also have to stop here and stop here because I lose right of way. It's it's the amazing thing to me is they've taken what the the experience of driving and broken it down into algorithms. And now you know I've been driving now for a long time, you know forty thirty years. I've been driving thirty years, and. I don't think about driving. I mean, you know, it just happens. I, I don't think, oh, I need to turn left. I should turn the wheel in a counterclockwise fashion approximately 12 degrees. No, it's just totally just happens. And that's what this thing is doing. It's breaking all that down into math. Uh, and the cool thing about that is if they get the math right, it will always be better than a person. Well, it's better than distracted drivers, Absolutely. certainly. So far, the Google vehicles had no incidents that weren't caused by humans. <laughs> well, yeah. In one case, the engineer turning off the Google driver, <laughs> he then had a wreck. They'll be like shooting the driver of the taxi in the head. Yeah. And, well, know. he thought, this is too complicated. Oh. I need to switch it off. <laughs> and then, then he had a little fender bender. Another time, the Google car got hit by someone else. Oh, yeah. So hit by another person. Probably they were texting or Googling something yeah, right, in a perfect irony. Um, <laughs> but that's it. A couple of instances, they yeah. drove billions and billions of miles at this point. What I like about this is that it's estimated if one out of 5,000 drivers mm-hmm. put this in their car, that's it. There's no more gridlock. One wow, out of 5,000 yeah. is an achievable number. That's just the nerds. That's the thing. Gridlock is behavior. Yeah. It's not technology. It's behavior. And yeah, that's what I was thinking about this is when you see a stop sign, you have to say, okay, there's a stop sign. I need to stop. And, you know, if it's raining or dark or, you know, there are reasons why you might misinterpret that stop sign. This thing won't. Yeah. It'll be, you could send a direct signal from the stop sign to all cars saying, you know, you will stop here. And they will go, yes. Or stop more here. importantly, don't stop here. Or we're Ignore right, yeah. the stop sign. Yeah, it's in perfectly this case, okay. Yes. Yeah, a police officer has flipped a switch. Oh, yeah, imagine that. I'd like you to not stop because there's a hostage signs. situation to your right. This is yeah. no longer a four-way, and you don't even look up from your newspaper. Your car just drifts past a dangerous area, doesn't get in the cop's way, doesn't get in the SWAT team's way. It's a kind of extreme That's example. great example, yeah. My favorite thing, though, is imagine this. Your nine-to-five day is actually a nine-to-five day. Right. You walk down to your garage at 8.59 and get in your car and begin checking your emails and returning phone calls. Yep. Your commute is no longer additional. It's included. That's a good You point. arrive at the office at eight uh, 9.45, or who cares, mm-hmm. 10 o'clock. You've wrapped up, because I've got a good hour I can do at my desk before I see another human being. Yeah. You then do a couple hours work. You go to lunch. At yeah, right. 4.15, Google Now pops up an alert, says, hey, with traffic, if you want to get home at 5, you need to leave now. Okay. You gather up your papers. You get in the car. You finish your work yep. in the garage. At 5.02, you walk in the house. Yep. The average American commutes 40 minutes. I know. The commute, That's an extra hour and a half you're working a week for free. You're driving a taxi for your boss. Right. You're, you're commuting yourself absolutely. to work. Absolutely. You're sitting out in the highway, uh, and, and now you can't be distracted. You know, Even if the traffic's moving two miles an hour, you, you really have to pay attention. And this is why I love the train, is because I can take my iPad and get some work done. Right. Now every car driver can do that, and I can summon. You summon it like an Uber. But yeah, I summon right. a self-driving car. That's a good point, too. And even us who live in the heart of the cities don't have to worry about a vehicle being parked. Or we could commute. We could commune a car. Ten of us could invest in one Google vehicle, do it in the private market entirely, yeah. and just use an app to schedule the car for whenever we need to get to work. When I first heard about these things, I thought, you know, this unanticipated stuff that's going to happen. There's going to be accidents that we could never have thought of. And then I realized... We live in that now. The humans cause so many accidents yeah. that even if even if one out of every 10,000 trips with a self-driving car resulted in an accident, that might be better than how we're doing it as people. 
I don't know what the numbers are, making them up. But uh, yeah, this won't be perfect, but we suck. (laughs) I've often complained of this modern Facebook headline thing. Mm. You won't believe what happens next. Number seven will blow your mind. And then this happens. I hate, hate, hate. And here's here's my PSA, right? Can I beg (laughs) you listening? Your job becomes when you post to Facebook to write, just write. I can't believe what happens next. Then write. They find the girl in the well. Yeah, it, you know, just let me know. solve it. Or if it really is a punchline to a joke, say that. Right. Sometimes you have to be obtuse in order to not ruin the punchline. That's very and true. And I post a lot of funny stuff to Facebook that I'll find. And so I'm saying a lot of times my posts are just, "Hey, watch this. It's funny." Yeah, at least you said that part. Yeah, it's I don't want to set. I don't want to give away the setup or the you yeah. know it's something from Inside Amy Schumer or an oh, old yeah, state yeah. Like d- video or whatever from the MTV show The State. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin it. Like watch yeah. it. It's funny. If you got three minutes, you watch it. This is the worst one I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Scientists searching for shipwrecks in the Gulf of Mexico found something else instead. They found a boot. A rusty I can, can't, a duck. I can't imagine. I'm not even going to give you the link. I don't want to reward these people with page views. <laughs> AOL, in this case. Is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> gee, they should be ashamed. You should call people. You know people. Well, most of them are gone. Uh, yeah. Researchers, and it is cool. That's the sad is, thing. Stupid really cool. headline, really cool. Texas A&M's Galveston Branch. I guess that's Texas A&M University. Has yeah. Because Gal- I know they have one in Dubai. Yeah, yeah, they get around. I have a friend, hey, Grady, who works Big in Dubai, school. Texas A&M. Um, <laughs> they had already found three shipwrecks. Yeah. 175 miles off the coast of Texas. Really deep waters, like 4,000 feet. Yeah. Two remote control vehicles to investigate what they thought was a fourth. Yeah. So these first three ships have really cool stuff on them. Uh, So they're already just amazed. Then they found a volcano. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Cool enough. KHOU reports, quote, so this is a very substantial asphalt volcano structure. And you did say the word asphalt. A volcano of asphalt. Yes, okay. Still quoting, tar shooting from beneath the floor of the Gulf, solidifying as it hits the near freezing water. Yeah. End quote. They've nicknamed it Tar Lily. <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> it measures 20 feet in diameter and about 10 feet at its highest point. And it does kind of look like a strange... When I saw the yeah. picture, because I scrolled, I thought, first of all, I, I clicked the link because I was angry. <laughs> what kind of what stupid... What? Ah, oh, gee, this is the worst one. Clicked it and looked at the picture and was like, what the heck is that? It looks like a sea creature. Yeah. Just gray on gray. And that's why they flagged it, because they, they're going over the uh, top of the ocean, you know, doing sonar of the readings of the bottom, and any unusual shape, they'll investigate. And it's usually a shipwreck. Yeah, and they'd already found navigational equipment, muskets, oh, yeah. cannons, uh, rolls of suspected hides. That's what yeah, they, so they could see. Time out here. I watched this happen live. That's what's so cool about this. They have HD video broadcast live, and you can be there. I had my nice big 27-inch monitor full watching live like I'm 4,000 feet, and they played the audio of the scientists. They have geologists and biologists and then the crew all talking, and they're like, can you pan a little left? We want to look a little bit more at that plate. And I saw the most amazing thing, and then I'll shut up. There was this little speck on the sand, and the guy said... My God, that's a chronometer. And I'm looking, it's this like two-pixel thing. And they zoom in on it, and it is. It's a chronometer. And the significance of that is, is that at the time of this shipwreck, that was worth so much money that nobody would have left it behind. And that means they all died. Oh, wow. Because the first thing anyone would have done is grabbed that and then jumped in the lifeboat or whatever. So anyway, 
uh, we will have links and you will be able to see some of this stuff. But you are living in an age where you can just sit back and watch shipwreck explorations live Which at home. Which is amazing. And you get to see them discover volcanoes. They estimate well, that, that too, this, yeah. this, it's a weird kind of volcano. It, it, it's not going to blow away Galveston. It's no. about 100 years old. But because of the, um, it appears to be dormant for the moment. This is a quote. Quote, the size of the extrusions suggests that there may be more asphalt below that might get squeezed out in the future. Yeah. So th- and there's an important uh, side note to this is, yeah, asphalt, you know, tar, you know, what it's part of what roads are made out of. You mix it with gravel and you get tar macadam, and that's what most roads are made out of, at least in the north. Um, and you hear about oil spills, like in the Gulf. Oh, my God, all this crude oil dumped in the ocean. What's going to happen? Well, crude oil and asphalt are pretty similar, and there is stuff that eats it. There's bacteria already that has evolved that eats this. So while it's not a great thing to dump millions of barrels of crude in the ocean. Because of the initial, the birds, the anemones, right. the jellyfish, Kills everything it, it covers. Yep. But the ocean itself has a way of dealing with it on the back end. Yep. In time, it'll deal with it. And this, this asphalt volcano, they're guessing, is 100 years old based on what's growing on it. But it may have been doing this for tens of thousands of years. It's just stuff's eating it. You know, the asphalt gets eaten. So just a little side thing. Now your cruise to the Caribbean can be powered by nuclear power. It could have if we lived in a more civilized world. So, you know, in the 50s, radiation was good. Nuclear power was a good thing. It was, uh, yeah, okay, we just killed all those Japanese people in World War II, but that's just one thing you can do with it. You could also cook your food. The radar range came out in 1947. And Eisenhower, the Eisenhower administration started this program called Civilian Nuclear Technology or something like that. But the idea was to show that this new technology we had of being able to use, to harness the atom, we could use for good things. One thing was they were talking about using it for excavation. You need to mine here? Let's make you a really big hole with an atom bomb. <laughs> they, no, they I guess did, that works. They didn't actually do Isn't it. Isn't that how we got Godzilla? I'm pretty yeah, sure well, that's how we got that Godzilla. We did, yes. And he's coming back, apparently. Um, but then they also said, well, what about nuclear-powered ships? Now, guess what, folks? We do have nuclear-powered ships. Submarines, right? A submarines lot of submarines are nuclear-powered. And uh, aircraft carriers. Aircraft okay. carriers like the uh, you know the big ones, uh, the Ronald Reagan, for example, they get refueled once every 25 years. Now think about that. This is an incredibly large vehicle that doesn't produce any pollution. For 25 years, it sails around the world at 30 knots, which is pretty damn amazing for a ship that size. So this is a great thing. And, and Eisenhower said, well, we need to get this out in the civilian world too. So they made this ship. It's called the NS Savannah. And it was never meant to be commercially viable. So what they did was they took half of a cruise ship and half of a cargo ship and stuck them together, basically. But they did it in this amazing futuristic style. So the ship itself is this thing of beauty. And it was a lousy cargo ship and a lousy cruise ship. But it did both. And it was nuclear powered. It was just a showpiece. And you should, there's links. There's always links. Check the links. The pictures of this thing are beautiful. And it could go around the world like 14 times before needing any fuel. Now, cruise ships today are much more efficient than they used to be, but they burn bunker fuel. This is the dirtiest, most awful stuff. Why is it bunker fuel? That's what it's called. And one of the reasons is that it's, it's so thick that it solidifies at room temperature. They actually have to heat it to burn it. It is garbage, but what it is is cheap. It's like the lowest possible grade of diesel, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, uh, unbelievable amounts of 
of pollution that dumps out. If you ever watch a, a cruise ship leave port, it's still black smoke coming out of the back. Anyway, all of that could have been avoided if we had just not been afraid of atomic power. And like, oh yeah, Chernobyl, you know, and Three Mile Island. I get all that. But if we could have been responsible with the technology, we could have saved ourselves a whole lot of pollution. And this museum ship, which it is not open to the public, they hope it will be, it's laid up in Baltimore now, was kind of like, um, it's, it's right now it's a piece of history of futures that we didn't have. But we still have the submarines. Well, the submarines we do. We still have the large carriers. Yeah, because the military is like, I don't care about what the public says. We're using, right. you know, There's testing technology with the risks are known at this point. Right. The risks are assessed and either dealt with or accepted. You know what your yep. loss is. I guess it's merely the expense of educating the public. That's what it is. So, so right, the military... They don't have to worry about people being afraid of radiation. Right. They just say, you, get on that ship and go. Right. And uh, so how many incidents have we had with radioactive problems with the military? I don't know of I mean, any. I've never, I've never heard of a significant one. Right. I mean, some submarines have gone missing and, and probably standing next to them is not a good idea. But uh, this ship was built so that they, they picked the fastest, heaviest ship of the time and, and calculated how much velocity it would have if it hit the ship broadside, the worst thing they could imagine, and then built it stronger than that. So even if this ship was hit by whatever, the containment would have maintained itself. So it, it makes me a little sad because I think we could have had a much cleaner, um, much healthier world if we'd embraced atomic power properly. Not like the Russians. That's but, always the key, I think, yeah. with new with new scary tools is is how do you embrace them responsibly right. when you do have occasionally crazy people in charge. Well, like the Soviet Union didn't. They so Chernobyl, they built this nuclear reactor and didn't put a. They didn't put. It, oh, hello, sorry. They didn't put anything around it. They just said we will not make mistake. Right. And even then, no. engineers will argue, even as catastrophic as Chernobyl is, the few pieces they put in place to act as yeah. safety, it could have it should have been much worse. Yeah. Had yeah. the safety's not been in place. Three Mile Island is a great success of safety. Absolutely. It the, melt down, it went nuclear, so to speak. The worst and thing, no one got hurt. The worst thing that could possibly happen happened. Impact, nothing. Nothing. The plant yeah. was damaged. That was the impact. And in Fukushima is a whole cadre wow. of problems. And, you know, the odds of what happened happening there. And here's the other thing. Now, a little bit of a political rant here. If we hadn't been so anti-nuke, Fukushima wouldn't have existed. It was a legacy plant with ancient technology. If we were continuing to build new plants, it would have been retired long ago. And so now we're in the situation where all nuclear power plants have been around a really long time and they're starting to age. And that's because we're afraid of radiation. And, well, an end of political rant. But just consider, if we had embraced nuclear power more, just how many fewer coal plants there would be and how much less carbon dioxide there would be in the atmosphere right now. Another link from our friends at NBCNews.com. African bird uses sound effects to bamboozle other species. This is very clever. This is really cool. So this is the fork-tailed drongo of the Kalahari Desert. Never heard of it. And it's a master of deception. This is what I like. I'll, I'll play you some sound effects. So here's what a pied babbler sounds like when it spots a predator, in this case a hawk. Here's the pied babbler. Now here's the drongo during its, doing its impression of a pied babbler. 
Here's a glass, glossy starling when it sees a hawk. And here's the Drongo's version of the glassy star, glossy starling. This last one's not even a bird. Here's what a meerkat sounds like when it sees an eagle and tells the other meerkats. And here's our friend the Drongo doing that same meerkat. We've heard mimics before in nature. Yep. And we've even heard, in a way, mimics with a broader range. A mockingbird, for example, attracts a yeah. mate because of its uh, ability, its diversity of its repertoire. And there was the bower bird that was uh, imitating the sound of a camera rewinding in chainsaws. Yeah, Remember I had that? a parrot yeah. growing up my entire life, and he learned cuss words. <laughs> yeah, we didn't right, intend yeah. for him to learn cuss words, but he learned cuss words. Yeah. And he learned cursed tone. He learned yeah. to sort of squawk as if he were an angry person. <laughs> like the impression of an angry human. But here's a bird, this Drongo, which is, by the way, a, a great name. Um, it is a great name. Of the, of the Kalahari. It sounds very Game of Thrones. I'm Drongo <laughs> of the Kalahari. <laughs> this fork-tailed bird, consider what it's doing. First of all, it's identifying the, oh, no, there's a predator coming noise of prey. Not just like my parrot. I heard that sound a lot. Yeah. So I'll whistle because you whistled. He's ide or It's identifying... That noise means something. Yeah. Then it's mimicking it really well, which it, for birds isn't that impressive mm -hmm. a trick. They all do them really well. But why is he doing that? The meerkats are all enjoying a meal. And he does an impression of a meerkat yelling, Hey, Dave, look out. It's Gary. There's an <laughs> the eagle lion. coming. <laughs> they all run. And it goes down and eats their food. It's, a, it's amazing. That's the trick. This thing would have to identify, number one, that's a meerkat. Number two, this is the sound meerkats make. Number three... Well, the sound they make when predators, when predators they make come, a ton right. of noises. That's a good point. When predators come. Yeah, and they've got food and I want it. Yeah, I, gastrointestinally, they have to line up because he can't yeah. chase me away and come eat my cheeseburger. Right, chasing away a lion wouldn't help it any. It's not going to eat a wildebeest. Although maybe it does that for fun. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's bored. But what a brilliant, <laughs> successful evolution... And the complexity of that. It is. I can't do that. If you right. dropped me in the, the Kalahari and said, okay, figure out what noise the meerkats make yeah. and record it and play it back at them and then go steal. I don't even know what your meerkats eat. Some insects. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm basing it now on Timon and Pumbaa. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they we know about sing meerkats. And eat insects <laughs> uh, and chase them away. And then Akuna Matata, it's all yours. Yeah. I couldn't do that. This no. is an impressive little bird. So I, I now have a new favorite mimicking bird. And how is it that we've not heard Take of that, minor bird. <laughs> oh, I like minor birds. But how, <laughs> how have we not heard of this before? I just... I can't... I can only imagine it's one of those things that the locals didn't think was important. Yeah. And they told some scientists, and the scientists went, wait, excuse me? Oh, one of the locals went to university at, like, Cambridge. Oh, right. And oh, they're all yeah. teaching about minor birds and mimicry, and it's, she's going for an ornithology master's and goes, hey, you guys know the fork-tailed Congo imitates prey <laughs> noises? So, and they all went, wait, sorry, what? The what? The and what now bird? she's written her thesis on that yeah, right. and got her doctorate. <laughs> I hope <laughs> so. Because it's just some stuff everyone in her family knew. That's happened before. That with the coelacanth. You know, this, oh, it's extinct. And oh my God, they caught one. And then somebody found one in a market for sale for people to eat. Yeah, it's, it's a food. It's just a thing it's we a, catch. Yeah, if you don't fish. tell us yeah. it's extinct, we can't tell you it's not. <laughs> Our continuing weekly series, Wrong! Things about which we were incorrect. There was... No widespread outbreak of panic in the U.S. because of Orson Welles' radio adaptation of War of the Worlds. I'm very disappointed to hear this. It's such a better story, the yeah. bullcrap version, isn't it? 
uh, Wells adapted Wells, Orson Wells adapted H.G. Wells. Yeah. Uh, a very small share of the radio audience was even listening to it. <laughs> it didn't have huge ratings. Like our podcast. And isolated reports of scattered incidents and increased call volume to emergency services were played up the next day by newspapers eager to discredit radio as a competitor for advertising. Yeah, amazing. They're trying to paint radio as dangerous and listened to only by buffoons. Wells and CBS initially apologized, and later they realized the myth helped them, and they actively reported and embraced it in latter years. And that, I'll bet, Wells, at his height in the Mercury oh, Theater, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's when he does War of the Worlds. He's got a few more very productive, very respectable years. He peaked early, unfortunately. His genius was at 30 years old. It's unfortunate. Uh, but he was still a powerful force. Oh, yeah. And if he's telling the story in that rich, oh, yes. modulated baritone, can you imagine? And it's such a good story. I yes. hate that I was wrong about that. No, me too. There was a movie made about the story, you know? And uh, Yeah. So it just goes to show that you're getting lied to all the time. You're still getting lied to all the time. We're trying not to lie to you, but if you have the TV on, you're probably... If we go long enough with this series, we can do wrong about, like, episode 12. <laughs> right. Here's what we got wrong. So mine today was a um, very simple one. So what do you do if you encounter a sleepwalker? Don't wake them. They'll die. No, you just wake them up. Because if you don't, they're going to trip over something and hurt themselves. So if you see somebody sleepwalking, which is actual real thing. I mean, if you haven't experienced it, it might seem strange. Gently wake them up. Lead them back to bed because they're going to hurt themselves if you don't. Thanks again for downloading and listening to. That second part is very important. And yeah, listening, listening to... There's no point in just downloading it. We can. Curio, just patting our numbers yeah. for advertising that it. we don't use. Yeah. <laughs> Until next week, my name's The Whip Theater's Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosity's Jeff Wagg. All that remains is the answer to this week's puzzle. So in what two sports in the U.S. are shoes required to be made of metal? The least popular of the two is polo. And the most popular of the two is horse racing. Oh, my God.